Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love, where talking about sex goes beyond the taboo and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. Today, we're going to be talking about the Fox and the Phoenix podcast with Savannah Hawk. My guest today is Savannah Hawk, a TEDx talk speaker on demystifying the cross-dressing experience and the author of Living with Cross-Dressing, Defining a New Normal, and Living with Cross-Dressing, Discovering Your True Identity. She's also a seminar and workshop speaker throughout the United States and the co-host and producer of the Fox and the Phoenix podcast. Savannah is a male-to-female dual-gender individual supporting and promoting non-binary visibility in the upstate of South Carolina and on social media, focusing on letting every cross-dressing person, young and mature, find their own confidence, expression, identity, and voice. Welcome, Savannah. I'm so happy to have you joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you reaching out and uh, inviting me. It's such an important topic to me uh, for so many reasons I'll talk about on here too. But can you explain why did you name your podcast the Fox and Phoenix podcast? What does that mean? (laughs) Um, Well, I have a co-host and we met um, over a year ago uh, as guest uh, critics, let's say, uh, for a after show. Uh, We watched a movie together on the Free to Be She show. And so because it was COVID and we couldn't really get together, she had a movie night and we kind of dissected the movie uh, after it. So I had met my co-host, Julia Rubenstein, on that show. And she reached out later and, you know, we conversed and I had seen her on the show previously. And she has um, a service for uh, trans styling and um, confidence building and um, doing lookbooks for fashion for uh, the community. And it's called the Fox and Hanger. It's called Fox and Hanger. And and I always wear, I always consider myself a phoenix. Uh, I always wear a phoenix. So being transformative. And so we came up with other names and they were all poo-pooed very quickly. And we realized that the Fox and the Phoenix was the the best mix of who we were. So, All right. Oh, thank you. I was wondering about that. Now I want to ask you something else that I've been challenged a lot by when I, as I've been, you know, I've been a therapist almost 37 years and language has changed and I know it's currently changing. It's all fine. I try to learn as much as I can. But when I use the term cross-dressing, people challenge me and say, we don't say that anymore. That's an old-fashioned term. It's gender play. It's feminization. But you use the word cross-dressing. So help me understand well, you know, when I wrote the books, you know, I always thought of myself as a crossdresser. Even yeah. growing up, uh, when I kind of came to terms with who I was, transvestite was still the word yeah. to yeah. use. Um, I didn't like that word because it derivative right into tranny, which was a slur, uh, whether you know it was appropriated by me or not. And so, crossdresser was that softer term that said the same thing. Yeah. Now, this was in the nineties when I was saying I was a crossdresser, but because I accepted that label, it stuck. And because uh, it stuck, I really never thought more about it until very recently, uh, which is I realized that cross-dressing is not a gender. Cross-dressing yeah. is just an action. It's just some, a performance. It is something you do. It is how you get from male to female or female to male or somewhere androgyny in between. And I realized that I had been calling myself a crossdresser, but in reality, I am crossdressing to express my dual gender, which 
as now I just stated, is really who I am. My gender is dual gender, bi-gender. There's gender fluid. There's gender queer. I mean, there's so many derivatives and kind of nuances to each of those terms. But in reality, cross-dressing or a cross-dresser is not a gender. It is purely a way to express yourself. Okay. And when, and so can you, uh, people are going to think also cross-dressing is usually, uh, uh, not always, obviously, but a cisgender hetero man who dresses up for erotic purposes. Is that what this is? It can be. It can um, be. Is it, I mean, and I, I will tell you in my evolution, you know, I've, I kind of had an attraction to female clothing from the age of five or six. Mm. Now that's obviously pre-adolescent as pre-hormonal changes and the raging, you know, sexual uh, discovery. But many people come to it during adolescence, which mm. it can be uh, positive, positively reinforced by experimentation, uh, erotic experimentation, where some people will think, I was like, oh, this is all it is because I'm, I have fetishized it for myself because I did it through adolescence and positively reinforced, you know, um, you know, uh, intimacy or I, when I dress, it gets me excited. You know, there's always those components, but if you dig deeper, what's the why, what was the, what, what draw you to it versus somebody else who's not like some other adolescent boy who never thought to wear bra and panties, you know, why didn't they get drawn to it? So there's a draw Mm -hmm. to it. And I think there's a misunderstanding of like why we do it. I think we get, I think we get channeled into a very specific lane for ourselves and maybe not think deeper about the meaning behind it. I'm not saying dig into your psyche and say, why are the folds of my brain different? Is it a chemical thing? It's like, I'm not looking for a physio, uh, like the physiology of it. I'm just looking, it's like, there's a root cause that drew you to it. And whether it is fascistic and it's a hobby, it's something you do on the weekends in the bedroom with your partner or alone. Um, and that's fine. And many people have that. I'm not disputing that people do do this as a hobby, but the more public and the more important and the more you want to share with family, friends, and the more it becomes part of who you are, it's, I think, I think you have to take fetishism off the table at that point, mm-hmm. because if all I wanted to do is do this in my bedroom, I wouldn't need to tell anybody except for my right. partner. This is really, really good. No, I so agree with this. So what you're saying is, yes, for some people, cross-dressing is erotic and it's, um, you know, a, a way of self-pleasuring, um, you know, feeling like a woman, not mm-hmm. being a woman, right? This is separate from being right. transgender. Um, I will, I'm going to dispute that as well, because I think okay. we all live under the transgender umbrella. Okay. And I think a lot of cross-dressers feel or have been told they don't belong under that umbrella. Yeah, I know. That's what I've learned. Um, because, because, because people have seen um, cross-dressing as a way to not provide equal rights, equal protections, equal health care to trans individuals because mm. they see the cross-dresser, quote-unquote, and say, well, why would I want to support that? Because that's just gross and disgusting and Solomon Gomorrah is like, I would never, I would never. You know, so why would I want to back a bill that, that allows them to prosper? But what I think people forget is that transgender is a general term encompassing all people in uh, diverse gender, right? But yes, there is transgender men and women who are a transitioning group of people, 
medically, mm-hmm. non-medically hormones, uh, just maybe living full time, you know, 365. They are also transgender, but at one point, a lot of those folks were transsexual. Now, mm-hmm. we took trans the sexual part off it because it wasn't about sexuality. It was about gender. So yeah, all of a sudden, right. you take transsexual and you make take that away and you put in gender. Now, yeah. we have two groups of people, both an umbrella term and a very specific term for a group of people within that umbrella. So I think we have to be very careful. I'm not going to stomp on anybody's labels, but I think sometimes people say, well, I'm transgender and you're not me. Therefore, you're not transgender. I said, no, we all live under the umbrella of trans. I love this. This was very well explained. I'm going to listen to this again because I want to teach (laughs) you exactly the way you just said, because that's not how I've been teaching it. Because you're right. I've learned that cross-dressing is outside of the transgender community. But now I understand why people feel that way. And and I, I like the way you said it. But for yeah, there's some unfortunate there's some unfortunateness about gatekeeping, yeah, and I like I had mentioned before, gatekeeping is both done to protect yourself and to also keep people out that are undesirable. Now, yeah. in either case, um, you know, like I said, people who are looking for protection, looking for equality, looking for you know equal rights and equal health care, and be accepted in those ways. I think they have a very strong position about why they feel that us, the cross-dressing community, uh, is a detriment to their growth, to their yeah. their end goals. Um, but the problem is cross-dressing is typically so underground. There's yeah. not enough people coming up to say, no, this is what it is. This is who I am. There needs to be more cross-dressing advocates to really kind of like plant the, the new seeds and say, no, what you learned 20 years ago and 50 years ago is not what cross-dressing is. It is diverse as every other gender yeah. diversity. Yeah. No, I love that you're doing this. It's so important and you're not ashamed and you're you're speaking intelligently. But I know people are going to be thinking, so what's the difference then between somebody who's assigned male or female at birth and then wants to gender reassign versus mm-hmm. somebody who cross-dresses? Um, well, I mean, why do we have to choose? I mean, you don't have to choose which sporting team you like. You mm-hmm. choose which one you want. Now, again, I say the word choose. It's not a choice. Um, if you think about it in terms of we are all amalgams of male and female energy, femininity mm-hmm. and masculinity, whether yeah. you're a young girl who likes to wear, um, you know, jeans and be a tomboy. Well, they're a little more masculine than they are feminine. Right. You have, you know, little boys who like to play with their sister's Barbies. Is that, you know, that's more feminine. It's like we have the, the stereotypes that have defined us and we, we kind of label everybody based on these pillars of stereotypical maleness and femaleness. But what happens is you forget that we are not one or the other. We're not a tent pole here or there. We are along the line or scattered around those poles in any direction. And so for me, it's not about not liking my body and not liking my biology. It's about expressing this divine femininity that I have within me that I need to express outwardly. And not only just at home, not in the bigger closet called my house, but in public to be a real person in the world with this persona, this expression and to be accepted. I really, really appreciate this. Do you, are you at risk for any kind of, um, physical harm or, you know, safety issues with being out in the world? I haven't put myself in a position to be accosted. I've had some pretty, um, 
intense stares, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, but nobody's ever approached me. Nobody's ever, um, you know, threatened me. So I've been very careful with the venues I choose, Good. but I am also very mindful of the venues I choose and where mm-hmm. I go and where I sit. Like I uh, have a hashtag called Savannah Starbucks Sunday on all my social media, which basically is self-explanatory on Sunday. Savannah goes to Starbucks just to do my work, do my writing, uh, have my coffee and just to be seen out in the world. And if nobody looks my way, fantastic. If somebody compliments me, fantastic. And if somebody does a double take, that's fine too. I'm uh-huh. just out there to be an example that this is not a fetish. This is not just something I do for kicks. So. Right. So for some it is. And for some it's um, this. It's wanting to be seen and wanting to express. And, and what I love, I think this is what I've had to learn as an older, th- getting an older therapist is everybody's individualized. You can't say that trans people are this way and cross-dressing is this way and gay is this way. I don't I don't even know what it means anymore. So when <laughs> someone comes to my office, I say to them, what does it mean to you? Because mm-hmm. for me, put meaning on it would be a, a mistake. It would be misgendering and misidentification. Yes, it's, it's yes. When the problem and the problem with that is if you were that type of therapist who was like, oh, let me tell you what you are, then they will take that as gospel because they're unsure for themselves. So yes. they're looking for somebody to be the expert to guide them along the way. And you're absolutely right. In my second book, we talk about, you know, biology. Uh, we talk about pronouns. We talk about your presentation, your gender, your sexual attraction versus romantic attractions. And like those six things together, one, are mutually exclusive, but not always. But mm-hmm. if you take those six things and you just like basically wrote, how do I see myself? And you just answer those questions, that will give you a very close approximate view of where you are this moment. Doesn't mean that's where you're going to be a year from now. But that means in this moment, like so for me, I see myself as male, female. I am biologically male. My pronouns Mm -hmm. are he for my male side and she for Savannah. I am dual gender. I am dual expressive for masculine and feminine. And dual means? Dual means both. Both. I mean, as opposed to being, if if you want to dissect it, trans is a cross, dual is both. So I am very comfortable uh, both appearing in my male form, which I do six days a week, except for Mm -hmm. today and just for you. Right. And it is hot. and um, and on Sunday I'm happy to be Savannah. So it's just it's one of those things where if I don't have this expression, if I don't have this ability, this outlet, it actually affects my mood. It affects my emotional state. It affects my reserves of energy because she is such a part of who I am. To not give her a voice or not give her a platform, not give her a way to be out in the world is actually like shackling a part of myself. Yeah. Where Part of myself is fine and confident, but the other part is shameful and I need to hide away. And that's why I'm trying to let people know that this is not a shameful thing. This is something we yeah. do and it's okay. This is so interesting. This isn't this. I'm not going to get into this whole thing in your podcast, but I never, I, I used to cross dress when I was a kid. I loved wearing my mother's wigs and shoes. And one day I had her lipstick on eyeshadow of the whole thing. I did it all throughout until I was almost 18 and then it went away. And then in my forties, <laughs> I started claiming my masculinity. And when someone calls me dude, I love to be called dude. I love to wear beard oil. I just love my masculinity. But I wonder why mine went away and yours didn't. It's just a weird thing that I wouldn't have continued on. I wonder if it's shame, if I buried it. I don't know. Well, that is a very good point. There are so many people who do bury it. There are so many people who, 
you know, explore it early on, but then when life happens and, and responsibility and expectations, and then they're married, and then 40 years go by, and they say, oh, yeah, I've been a closet, you know, cross-dressing person, and I hid it from you our entire marriage, mm-hmm. and now I want to transition, or now I feel like I need to do this more so and more publicly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what kind of strain does that put on a relationship? Like, I thought I, I thought I had the bearded therapist here and now all of a sudden i have you know this shaven female with a wig and high heels it's it's is jarring for somebody not expecting it so So i think it's go ahead ahead. how does it affect your relationships then because i in my office when women find out their husbands are doing this it, it it can go really badly it can go really badly um in all my relationships except for when i got married uh every relationship after that i told them day one Okay. So even though they didn't know that when we started, you know, seeing each other and getting a little more serious, as soon as I hit that serious mark, mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I need to stop you for a minute and I need to show you a picture. Either a Polaroid from 1997, you know, as technology gets better, the photography right. is right here on my camera. Um, so, yeah, in every relationship past my marriage, it was about as soon as I know this is a serious relationship, we need to have a talk. Okay. Now, that's, I think that's probably better. It is. It is better. It one, it allows your partner to have a choice yes. of what to do with that information. Um, most people are either, you know, cool with it, but they may be cool with it because they don't really understand the extent of what it is. Um, in more recent times, it's been about educating yourself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's books out there now, but I found that prior to my books, and this is not self-aggrandizing, but prior to my book, there weren't really too many books that were non-trans non-binary non-transitioning it's been a lot of like oh my husband you know my husband wears my clothes and oh by the way 10 years later they transitioned if you claim yourself to be non-binary non-transitioning it's very difficult to um have somebody read a book that then says cut to 10 years later they will transition okay because right, it's not it's not a journey A to B. It's not like male to female or female to male. It's not a one way trip. It's like yeah. we're we we get off the stops all along the way. Yeah, I lo- I like that what you said. Non transitioning, non binary. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, and yep. that's you. Yes. And then some people could be in your situation and be closeted even to themselves that they are transitioning until later, but you don't know who those people are, right? Right. Right, and they yeah. don't know to themselves. I mean, you have people who. Barry is so deep, whether because of religion, culture, um, people who influenced them when they were younger. Yes. Uh, even my own family, my own folks have said things about other people, which made me very quickly realize that sharing with them was not the thing I wanted to do at 10 years yeah. old. Right. Right. So so we learn very quick, very fast how to protect ourselves. And it becomes so subconscious sometimes that we we take in information we take in news events. We take in people's. We take in people's comments and realize, like, wow, I really shouldn't do this because it will be a burden for me to be this way. Yeah. So, who wants a burden? Who wants to be ostracized? Who wants to go through a life where you're pointed at and, and ostracized and made fun of and excluded and uh, marginalized? Nobody wants yeah. that. So, yeah. a lot of people make that subconscious decision to put it away. Because it'll be easier for them and everybody else to have a typical cis hetero life. And can I ask you, and you don't have to answer personally, but this doesn't automatically mean you're 
and I don't know what your central orientation is, but that your orientation when you're Savannah is one way, and when you're not Savannah is another way. It, it's not related to that, is it? No, uh, I will say this, talking about the sexual attraction and romantic attraction, uh, if, if I were to write down those answers, the sexual attraction is feminine. So don't think about feminine as female, bi- right. biologically. Think about feminine as, why is that drag queen so gorgeous? Mm-hmm. Why is that person who is like to the nines that you know is a man dressed that way, why is she attractive to me? Mm-hmm. Because my brain is wired to love the feminine. Yes. But in relationships, female, the biological female is who I want to be with. Okay. So that doesn't change between being a man and being a woman, putting on a dress and all of a sudden I'm like, I love men. No, it's I know, that's for what people think. I know. Yeah, that's what people think. And there is some truth to it as well, because um, some people like to be validated as a woman by yep. men. Like yes. if there are many, many um, dual gender and gender fluid people who go to the bars for male attention because it reinforces the validation of being a woman. It's like, oh, yes. you're so pretty. Let me buy you a drink. That's so stereotypical and a cliche. But to a person who craves that male attention, it makes them feel more like a woman. Totally. So yeah. that could be either situationally, it could be sexually. There's many ways that could be carved up because there, the, a need, there's a need of validation ex- externally to drive their validation of self. You're making me feel so good because I teach that in that way. And it just reinforces I'm teaching it correctly, you know, because I only know from my <laughs> clients and there's not a lot of information and there are no books on on um, relationship. You know, like what happens? There's books about my husband, Betty, or something. And she, mm-hmm. that's probably the most common. And, and But now we have your books and it would be nice to have more books about relationship. How do partners deal with this? How do people, how do cross-dressing uh, people deal with that? Well, I mean, in Defining a New Normal, that was the first book. It was that book in answer to other books out there that didn't answer the question of non-binary, non-transitioning or relationships. I mean, there's plenty of books about relationships in general. There's plenty of books about uh, trans relationships. But when it comes to my husband told me after 30 years of marriage that he likes to wear women's clothing, there wasn't really a book for that necessarily because we all have several fears. One, you told me, therefore, I know you want to be a woman. So I know that you're going to turn into a woman. You're going to want to change sex. Um, two, oh, so you like men. And you hid that from me. Two, right, what else did you betray me about over all these years? Right, um, right. And then, like, how do I fit into that dynamic now as yeah. a partner? This is great. What are the, I was just going to say, what are, you, are any future projects in the works? I do. I am currently uh, almost 100,000 words in on a sci-fi, dystopian, LGBTQ, non-binary, non-transitioning um, story, fiction. Oh, wow. um, so basically, how do you how do you take the the journey of a young boy with a feminine spirit that needs to be harnessed? Mm. So I, I kind of took in a whole different direction. So, and I wrote that because I feel like the trans youth and non-binary youth don't have enough examples. So if I could provide something that's not just gay, bi, or I'm sorry, gay uh, or bisexual or lesbian, if I could take that off the table and make it more about gender as, as, as a story, I, I feel yeah. that that would be a good thing. So that's my next project. And um, then there will be a third living with cross-dressing book uh, that yeah. is going to tackle basically what we just spoke about today, which is why is cross-dressing not a gender? 
and yeah, I'm going oh, to dive into the history. Uh, there's going to be a Magnus is going to be in there when he, you know, came up with the word transvestite yeah. and we're yeah. going to just dissect it and really do what we talked about today on this call, uh, this interview is just, yeah, why is it not? And why should we not think of ourselves that way? And I got to say, I just have such a bad reaction to the word transvestite. I even did in the seventies when it was out Rocky horror. I, Fucking hate it. I'm so glad we don't say it. And I never knew that tranny came from transvestite. Is that right? I didn't know that. I believe it did, yeah. And then unfortunately it got it just kind of got appropriated across the entire trans community uh, as a slur. And but more recently, a lot of trans people have started to take that word back. It's yes, like this is yep. my word. I'm gonna make this a positive word. You can't hurt me with this word anymore. And I think right. that's a positive step as well. So where, Savannah, can people find you online if they want your books, your TED Talk, your website, everything? Uh, the TED Talk you can find on YouTube. Just type in Savannah Hawk TEDx and you should find it. Uh, my books are available primarily in paperback and on digital download at Amazon or in other places where you do your typical digital downloads for books. Um, you, The Fox and the Phoenix podcast can be found every week on Wednesday with my co-host, Julie Rubenstein. Um, at iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, um, Anchor.fm, uh, pretty much anywhere where you consume your streaming uh, content. And, and on social media, you can find me on Facebook at Savannah Hawk, Instagram at Savannah Hawk, uh, Living with Cross Wrestling, and The Fox and the Phoenix have um, Facebook's uh, pages as well. And okay. I think you can also find Fox and the Phoenix on Instagram as well. So thank you, Savannah, so much for coming on and doing this. And I could have talked to you longer. If my uh, podcast wasn't so short, if this would have been a, a long, maybe we'll have you back. So thank I would, you. I would love it. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And if you like this podcast to my listeners, please rate it and rate it well and let us know that you liked it. Um, and if you want to hear more, you can come to smartsexsmartlove.com. But you can also follow me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at Dr. Joe Court. D-R-J-O-E-K-O-R-T. And you can find me on my website, joecourt.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, be safe and be healthy.